There is a saying that goes that the UK and USA are two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> I don't know how true this is, but today's guest will be part of our transatlantic series where we talk to entrepreneurs and business owners in the USA and continue the special relationship that our politicians talk so much about. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome. Today's guest is Sean Glaze of Great Results Team Building, who specializes in team leadership and team culture events, as well as coaching. Welcome to The Cashflow Show, Sean. Good morning, Clayton. Pleased to be here and looking forward to sharing with your audience. Excellent. Thank you. I have to um, share with the audience that um, Sean has been very, very, very helpful in trying to get this to happen because we tried this last year. And unfortunately, um, uh, Sean was visited by a storm, I think. Was that what was, that was happening there? <laughs> it was. We actually had an unexpected leak in our home. And so we're, uh, we're actually out of our home for a couple of weeks where they had to go in and, and put in some new floors for us. So we ended up having to juggle a handful of different events. This is the lifestyle of an entrepreneur, is it not really? You have to deal with these, <laughs> <laughs> these things. They talk they about normally you're putting out fires, right? It, and, exactly. Uh, we weren't putting out fires. We were dealing with floods. <laughs> well, so where are you based so that our, our, our audience can get um, an idea of where, you, where, you, where you're from in, in, in America? Yeah, I am just north of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, okay. So our only references. So southeast. Oh, southeast. Okay. So our only references here in the UK are, um, uh, well, for me, it's it, it's all music references. It's um, you know, the devil went down to Georgia. Down with Charlie Daniels band or, <laughs> or Midnight Train to Georgia. Gladys Knight in the Pips. I think <laughs> that's. <laughs> So that is fantastic. Well, uh, well, we can certainly do a whole lot worse. So uh, good, to be, good to be known. Good to be known by good music. Exactly, very much so. So, I want to talk about your business because obviously I find it quite fascinating how the work that you do it seems to be not commonplace, but more more commonly um, seen in in the US. But over here, it, it's a relatively new phenomenon. And I'm trying to find out in the UK, having people come in to address team building and coaching, that's a relatively new thing. How did you get started in the team building and coaching industry? Well, I think like most people that are listening, you know, sometimes your career, uh, path and trajectory aren't what you would have expected when you were younger. And so coming out of college, I was planning to be an attorney, Clayton, and oh. I did not get accepted to the university that I had uh, anticipated getting into because I had played a little bit too much as a freshman. And so uh, I ended up deciding to take a teaching and coaching job for a year before I reapplied. And sometimes Providence puts you where you're supposed to be. I ended up by probably Thanksgiving certainly by holiday break of that year, realizing that I was where I wanted to be. 
And for 20 years, I taught literature and coached high school basketball. Now, I tell you that because it was as a high school basketball coach that obviously I dealt with uh, some of the strategy and the X's and O's. But far more importantly, I learned as a coach how unbelievably vital culture is, that culture is always going to determine how successful your strategy uh, is able to be. You know, it's going to uh, certainly either support or sabotage the X's and O's that you're working on. And, uh, and so my very first year as a basketball coach, uh, when I finally became a head coach, it was far less successful than I'd anticipated, not because of the X's and O's and skills and the strategy that we had put in place that I was very, very proud of and excited about, but because I hadn't paid any attention to the connections and camaraderie and chemistry uh, of the players and the athletes and, and really paying attention to the culture and defining expectations and having feedback and one-on-one conversations and, you know, rewarding and, and identifying progress along the way. And so it was through a basketball athletic realm that, uh, that I got involved in my interest and then researching and then working on team culture. It, it's, it's quite a strong link between sports and business, which I, I initially was very dismissive of, but with the guests that we've had on the cash flow show over a period of time, the that link becomes stronger and stronger because the concept of the coach in America is a is it's it's a very sacred place. You know, coach is a title, whereas you know UK here, you're the manager, mate, and that's that's your job. Um, whereas in America, the coach is. It, it's almost like a military title. So it, it has a certain level of importance. Well, I, I do think there are, and this is, as you might imagine, one of the conversations I have with a number of clients is, you know, coming into our organization and whether that's healthcare, whether that's construction, whether that's banking or insurance or education, you know, what are you going to be able to bring having been a basketball coach? And one of the things that I really enjoy sharing are examples of how, regardless of industry, people are still people and teams are still teams. And the same issues that I dealt with in locker rooms in terms of building trust or establishing accountability or clarifying expectations or building connections that would allow you to uh, be able to address and improve performance, those are the exact same issues that people are having, uh, not just here in the States, but across the uh across the globe, regardless of industry, because again, leaders, regardless of, uh, of industry, are still dealing with groups of people who need to come together and work together successfully. So why do you think team leadership or leadership and team building, I should say, become so important in, I've, I personally think in the last 20 years, that's for us in the UK, it may have been much longer for you in the US. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, you know, I've, I realized probably seven or eight years into my coaching career that it wasn't just the X's and O's and it wasn't just the talent that determined our team's success. Uh, and certainly you're going to, from year to year, have different levels of talent. And some years you had a whole lot more athleticism and skill and some years you had a little bit less. But if you were able to build a culture, you could maintain a higher standard level of performance. And when you did have that quality talent, you could really overachieve. And, uh, and I learned that simply because when I had talent as a younger coach, we honestly underachieved because I had completely neglected the culture 
that would have allowed that to, to have the expectations and to uh, create those relationships and the empathy and the accountability and the you know, mission and the goal that allowed everybody to row in the same direction. You mentioned accountability, and you've mentioned it in a couple of paragraphs, so there's a certain consistent link using that word. Do you think that in terms of businesses and corporate culture, that accountability has become increasingly important? Absolutely. I think that as a younger coach, and I think that many young leaders across industries, Clayton, I think oftentimes we see accountability as uh, as just synonymous with consequences. And uh, and as a younger coach, I was the command and control guy who was the disciplinarian and who did a great job of providing consequences. And sometimes that ends up leading to resistance because rules without relationships is always going to lead to resistance. Yes. And rebellion. And certainly I had some of that. And, uh, and it was only as I matured and wisened and did a little bit more you know, learning and growing and, and, and dealing with those issues that I came to understand not just how important accountability is, but the breadth of that term. Because I think accountability is really tied into the two things that I work with every team. You know, when I come into an organization, whether it's working as a leadership coach or coming in for an event and the follow-up training, I'll always focus on two main connections. And like a battery – if you don't have two connections, you're not going to get any energy. No. In a team, if you don't have these two connections, you're not going to get any energy or unity. And those two connections are first, what is the compelling common goal? What is it that when your people show up, when they close the door to their car to walk into the office, when they fire up their laptop to join a remote team, what is that reason that they are there? What is their compelling common goal? What is that shared why? that everybody is is seeking to accomplish together. What's the mountain they're seeking to summit? And the second connection that you need to have is what do you know and appreciate and understand about the strengths and skills and challenges and background and perspectives of the people that you're working with? So it's connecting to a goal and connecting to each other. And I think if you don't have those two things, regardless of all the time and resources that you invest in strategy, that strategy is going to underperform because you've not taken the time to really connect people with each other in a goal. You use the expression, you need two connections in order to, for a battery to work. That's fantastic. That's a great analogy. But I also wanted to ask, do you think that there is a formula for the types of personalities that can exist in teams? What I found is you can have high-performing teams with any combination of personalities as long as the team is large enough to house some of those personalities that are going to counteract others. And if you're very familiar with DISC, and I've done a lot of work with teams and the, the DISC uh, assessment, uh, I've worked with very successful leaders who were across that spectrum. What you need to have as a leader or as teammates is others who can actually share a different perspective. And I think that that's where, you know, the idea of having a healthy culture and, and building into your culture that curiosity instead of, uh, you know, commanding and controlling. I believe that across the, the team, people feel far more uh, encouraged and safe to share their perspectives when the leader is doing a great job of building that psychological safety and that sense of shared commitment where everybody feels that they're contributing. It's interesting because I, I've noticed that, you know, there are certain teams and certain people that work really well together. I've been involved in teams and 
I think that sometimes you need that broad spectrum of personalities. You need that quieter person who's more maybe introspective and who, who may only come up with one idea every so often. But that one idea is absolutely amazing. Um, and I suppose I think I, I'd like to look at it like in terms of music, the Beatles, for example. You know, you've got really sort of four quite distinct personalities, very similar people, very similar background. But I, I wanted to focus on, say, George Harrison, for example. Now, George Harrison was constantly sort of thought of by um, uh, Paul McCartney and uh, John Lennon as the younger brother, if you like. And mm -hmm. he didn't get the opportunity to have that many songs on Beatles albums. But when he did, everyone that he put out was absolutely amazing. It was actually a great song. And I think to a certain extent, his relationship in terms of they, he was seen as the quiet one, more introspective, more thoughtful, but obviously incredibly creative just as well as the others. And I think in certain types of teams, you need that person who's just slightly different, maybe just sort of left of kilter, just, you know, somebody who, who does things completely differently and you need that different mindset. Whereas as opposed to, you know, the person who's the loudest, who's got the strongest personality, I think a good leader is able to ensure that the person who's not as assertive gets their opportunity and time to shine. What would you agree with that? Oh, I would agree wholeheartedly, and let me explain why. I think that, uh, you know, and you've probably heard that, that maxim, if everybody's thinking the same, that some people aren't necessary. And I think that there is certainly some truth to that, because... Uh, while our similarities are going to end up uh, connecting us, it's our differences that bring us value to a team. And it is what others bring that are different in terms of perspectives and backgrounds and personality and strengths. Their differences are what make them valuable. And the leader's job, and I think this is what is genius that you shared earlier and that a lot of leaders don't recognize, is if you're in a meeting, whether that's remote or in person, and everyone in that meeting has not contributed something, then they didn't need to be at the meeting or you need to do a far better job of inviting those conversations and contribution. Because I would argue that the, the example you shared, there are people across the globe, certainly in the UK and certainly here in the States, who feel that they are not as valued as a contributor because the leadership or the team hasn't invited them to share as introverts. And I think introverts need far more time to process and to consider, but they oftentimes also think far more deeply. And as you said, can share tremendous contributing ideas given the opportunity. Would you, would you say that to be the case that there, that is that strong relationship between productivity and leadership? Oh, completely. I think that uh, leaders are oftentimes the lid on team productivity because they limit the productivity based upon um, how they have or have not focused upon culture. And, uh, you know, one of one of my books, Clayton, Rapid Teamwork, focuses upon, you know, there are five things that it takes to be a great leader. And these five things are the five areas of focus that you need to give to your team culture in order to give your people a chance to overachieve and to create the performance and productivity and the profitability that you want your team to. And the first, obviously, is goals. 
the second, and I use a, a very cheesy acronym of GREAT for great leadership and great teams. Goals first, relationships second, because you need those two connections. But after you've established goals and relationships, you need to shift your focus to expectations. And I think that's where a lot of times, even when people will do what they call team building, and I think team building sometimes is far too large an umbrella for uh, for a lot of recreational activities instead of intentional activities. But after you've established a goal and you've begun to focus upon creating those relationships, that clarification of what are our team standards going to be? What are our commitments going to be to each other? How are we going to operate? Whether that's on a remote team with how we're going to communicate and when, whether that's in an in-person team about these are the things that we're going to agree to do that are non-negotiables. I think those expectations are huge in terms of establishing not just values, but what are the behaviors those values are going to be demonstrated by. And then that gives you the opportunity to then hold people accountable. And accountability, accountability, Clayton, again, as I mentioned, is a huge part of, of any team puzzle, but it's not consequences. I think the accountability is almost always personal. And that personal accountability that we take for ourselves and our contribution and our you know, caring for and assistance with other teammates is all built on empathy. And you only feel empathy for people you care about and causes you care about. So we go back to that goals and, and relationships pieces being so very vital. So after goals and relationships and expectations and accountability conversations and the one-on-ones and the feedback, the single most important thing that I left off early in my career was the thanks toasting the the efforts and the the progress that people are making along the way instead of waiting until the uh until the end of the season of the team banquet to say thank you and that for me is a major point of why i think people become discouraged in terms of working within a team or in working within a company because sometimes it's those small wins the little wins that you have to help celebrate that inspire greater performance oh and and i was i can't imagine how difficult a person to play for as a young coach because as i said i would push and i would push and i would push and at practice each day we would work to get better and i would emphasize the gap between where we were and where we needed to be and it wasn't until later in my career that i began to see you know how that honestly debilitated us as a team and, and it really did steal away some of the momentum and some of the positive morale that we would have otherwise had if i had celebrated the progress along the way i think you need two things to help guard against burnout and certainly people sometimes need time away but i think that the two things that oftentimes we do not contribute enough to to emphasizing with our team is a that purpose giving the, the, the meaning to their, to their efforts, and then B, progress. How do we actually, in those one-on-one conversations, in those weekly meetings, how do we highlight something where people feel that those efforts are having a positive impact and, uh, and feel seen for what they're doing? Excellent. Now, books play a major part in the work that you do. When did you start writing? <laughs> that is... Uh, a fantastic question, and uh, I think the first book that I wrote was originally titled Fistitude and is now titled uh, The Unexpected Leader, as I've kind of repackaged it a little bit for more of the corporate audiences that I work with now. But that was really a story that I wanted my athletes to read. It was a story about how do you lead without a title? How do you actually have impact 
without the authority of a position uh, and taking ownership of your performance and recognizing that anyone can lead from a position that isn't necessarily a titled leadership position was a huge part because as a coach, you're always seeking to turn teammates into leaders. Uh, and, uh, and so that was the very first story. And then when I became serious about going from being a coach to working with corporate and other teams and becoming a speaker and a team builder and doing things in conferences, it was at that point that I really became a little bit more intentional. And my next book was um, Rapid Teamwork, which focused upon those five steps. After Rapid Teamwork, then I focused upon the Ten Commandments of Winning Teammates, which basically was for those frontline employees to recognize not just the positive and profitable impact of being a great teammate, but how it gives you a far better daily experience while you are actually having more productivity. When you begin to think about the empathy and the connections that make things far more meaningful. Uh, and the most recent one that was just published at the end of 2021 is staying coachable. And in the time you know, that, uh, that we've all had over the last 24 months, uh, the impact of change uh, is something I think that staying coachable speaks to in a very popular message in terms of you know, how do you improve and maintain that desire to develop yourself individually but then more importantly how do you as a leader help to lead your people in those one-on-one conversations so that they improve and accept the change initiatives as well so most of your work now is done is it more corporately or more smaller private business how does that work yeah my ideal client is probably 50 to 500 people uh so it's not the ibms and the coca-colas of the world it's probably been more, uh, you know, again, healthcare organizations and construction firms and educational organizations um, that have been looking for a way to develop their leaders and to improve and develop their teams with things that are really applicable and actionable ideas that have an immediate impact upon not just the team morale, but obviously later on the team productivity and performance. And there is a there is a rationale to that to a certain extent, because I, I think that helping the IBMs and the Coca-Colas, I think it's too far gone in that culture to do to do your to do what I believe would be the best work, because those those places are set in stone. They will have changes. They will have paradigm shifts, etc. But that 50 to 500 is where you can make a real difference because that's where the IBMs and the Coca-Colas start from and get to. And if you can create that paradigm shift in thinking, um, you, you, you're basically being able to set people up for much greater success, I would assume. Yeah, and, and you uh, again, just as we talked about, you can actually see the progress and the impact of the you know of the trainings and of the keynote and of the the coaching that goes on uh, because it's not too large an organization for for that improvement to be lost in in, in what's more of a, uh, a a monster of an organization instead of something that's manageable. Do you think that leadership is often misunderstood? Yes, and specifically by leaders. I think that sometimes, <laughs> and, and, and I was very much guilty of this, as I've mentioned, Clayton, uh, I think that oftentimes young leaders and sometimes insecure leaders, as I'm looking back probably was, uh, they're a little bit more concerned with not just the strategy side, which is important, 
but with the consequences and accountability in a far uh, less um, understanding definition of that term. And so as you get a little bit older and have a little bit wider view and, and, and appreciation of the impact that those conversations and, and, uh, and behaviors have when you are wearing that title of leadership, uh, I think you begin to understand that uh, you really do determine how successful the team can be. And not just because of strategy, but because you've taken the time to learn a system of building a healthy culture where people can thrive. Now, we've previously discussed leadership and how it's often misunderstood. What are your thoughts on leadership in the tech space? Because that's where we're seeing people who are now CEOs and CEO. When, you know, when I started in business, the, the, the term CEO just didn't exist. And it, it, it doesn't really exist in the UK landscape. You usually have directors, managing directors. And like a lot of the stuff, I mean, we export a bit to you. You export a hell of a lot to us. And you've exported the term CEO to us. So um, <laughs> uh, so we've got, we've got that now in our, in our glossary of um, uh, business terms. But I, I wanted to ask, you know, what do you think of leaders in the tech space? Because those are the people that we're seeing who are front facing. But at the same time, I also wanted to ask, what do you think about leaders using social media? Well, I'll start with the first part of the question, Clayton, and that has to do with leaders in the IT space. And, and, and I think that based upon my experiences, I would argue that a good leader is a good leader is a good leader regardless of industry. And I think that a great leader of a restaurant, a great leader of uh, a healthcare management group or a great leader of an IT uh, company are going to start off with a valuable idea that they want to execute. And they're going to build their team based upon the skills that they need in order to make that mission uh, successful. And I think that sometimes, like many other industries, it's easy for those leaders to lose sight of the importance of culture because they do spend so much time upon the strategy and the, the goal, uh, and I think specifically in remote situations, one of the best things a leader can do sometimes is to identify the goal and to get out of the way and let great people do great work. That said, I think a whole lot of great people being able to do great work is to provide a, a healthy environment where they can do that. If I'm planting seeds in good soil, they're going to grow. But if I bring a seed into a rocky soil where there is some toxicity and there is some issues that haven't been addressed, uh, then that obviously ends up being less of a healthy and less of a productive situation. And I think that leads to the second part of your question, dealing with social media. And I think social media, like anything else, is a tool that can be used for good and it can absolutely sabotage careers and companies as well. And I think that recognizing what it is you want that message to be and, uh, and continuing to build upon what it is you want your brand to be and how you want to demonstrate those values you've defined as part of the expectations, kind of uh, part of that program that I would take a team through. Uh, that goes a long way into defining uh, the backbone of what you want that social media program to focus on. Excellent. I think for me, social media, as you said, is a tool and it can be a fantastic tool. Um, I've seen businesses that have done incredibly well via social media 
and certain industries, they do work well with social media. However, I've seen some people completely ruin their companies as a result of being on Twitter too late at night and you know, letting themselves go and not, you know, I've, I've got a rule of thumb, you know, if my grandmother wouldn't like it or my mother wouldn't like it, then it's probably, <laughs> <I like that. laughs> then it's not for me to post. It's not a good idea. And I think there have been many a post I've drafted and I've said, no, this is not right. I've, I've got to have, you've, especially in smaller businesses, you've got to be your own PR. And the fact is, is if you've, if you are your own PR you should be objective enough to say this comment or this tweet or or this posting is going to cause me x amount of trouble is it worth ruining my business um there's there's a story and i don't know if it ever got as far as um uh, being published in the us we had a a jewelry store called ratner's and the guy that mm-hmm. ran it was gerald ratner and they used to sell you know it wasn't particularly high-end stuff. You know, you could get nice pairs of earrings for a lady or maybe a bracelet, but it was nothing that was into... It, it wasn't Tiffany's. It was a long way from Tiffany's. and <laughs> But they had very, very healthy sales. You know, they, they sold at the cheaper end. And this was mm-hmm. before social media. And this must have been about maybe 30-something years ago, if I remember rightly. He went to a business dinner after the event and they were they'd all become very relaxed he then decided to get on the rostrum and make a speech saying that a prawn sandwich was worth more than the um uh, wine glasses and tray that he sold in England and unfortunately for him somebody was taking notes and it was published in the newspaper and it completely ruined his business it literally crashed his business overnight. Yeah, well, he went very much against the brand that people had actually been buying into. Is is they're going to him for for that opportunity to to feel that they are purchasing something that has some value and some meaning. And and as he begins to desecrate some of what they were wanting to invest in, that completely sabotages his ability to maintain the brand that he was probably built on. And and I think that as leaders. Um, we need to define the brand. And, and again, there's a huge difference between uh, an individual who starts a business and a leader who's actually got a group of you know five to 10 or 12 people that is on that team uh, that they are actually working together for a compelling common goal. But that idea of defining, you know, what is our mission? What is our vision? What are our values? What are we going to stand for? How do we want to present ourselves? Those are things that are vital to uh, really defining what the team is about and, and how we're going to uh, interact together and what we want to you know, show as our face to the world. Indeed. And that was a lesson to many an entrepreneur in the UK. And uh, I think maybe one or two have fallen foul of it over the years, but it's one of those things that is commonly put up in the list of top 10 business failures of, of all time. It's a learning. It's a learning for for all of us who are involved in business. But as you say, in terms of what people, if people buy into your brand, they have an expectation. And if that expectation is not meant, then there is general disappointment all around. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I'll have to look into that uh, that article because that's something I think would be an interesting example, as you said, to share the importance of 
what are those values that we're going to not just identify our behaviors by, but what are the values that we want people to see us as an example of, because that's going to be what drives our business. And there are certainly, as I'm sure you know, Clayton, there, there are businesses that pride themselves on excluding a certain part of, uh, of the community. And, and that's, you know, you know, sometimes if you don't stand for something, then, uh, you haven't necessarily, uh, defined not just what we are for and what we do, but what we don't do, not just who we serve, but who we don't serve. And I think that uh, clarifying that for your team and what it is you're wanting to accomplish can be very, very powerful. Indeed, indeed. Now, what I wanted to ask was, how can entrepreneurs avoid taking their leadership skills too far? I, re- I remember seeing something recently where uh, a lady was complaining about her husband that he was so used to being so bossy in the office when he came home he was he was acting as if he was still running a business and you know the wife had to say to him listen darling <laughs> you're home now you can you can stop the business guy act it, it, we're, 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 it's your children here that you're talking to so how can uh, uh, a, le- a leader uh, and or an entrepreneur and or an entrepreneur how can a leader or entrepreneur avoid becoming a tyrant when they're at home? Well, I really believe it's difficult to be one person in one situation and to change your spots and be a different person in a different circumstance. And, uh, and what that uh, business leader and his wife experienced, I think, are, are the exact same issues and challenges uh, in his home that he was probably having in his business because of his personality and how he chose to lead. I think that... Uh, even in military where you would imagine command and control would be most evident, you see more and more uh, an idea of collaboration and contribution and people um, being curious and connecting rather than just demanding something. Now, certainly there is a place for at some point a leader's got to make a decision. At some point there needs to be you know, ownership of you know, what is uh, the decision going to be and what direction are we going to move in and, and somebody needs to be that final accountability piece. However, I think that the issues that maybe even your listeners may have had inside the walls of their home in terms of somebody being bossy and the other one not, those are those are issues that you're going to take to the workplace as well. And the more that we can uh, allow ourselves out of curiosity and connection uh, to become more empathic and to, to be more um, inclusive in terms of um, not necessarily creating a hierarchical situation where people do resist. I think we end up having more success in both. And, uh, and again, I don't, I don't think that who you are at the office ends up being a different person than who you are at home or in social situations. And the better leaders are those who are not necessarily the command and control uh, tyrant, but those who, involve their people and invest in their people and serve and support their people uh, rather than necessarily you know, sabotaging success because they wanted to uh, maintain control. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I thought it would be a great idea to ask you, who would you say are the best leaders of the tw- last 20 years, say, in your mind? People that you think are, as I said, effectively from from your observation at a distance, whether you know these people or you don't know them, who would you say are the best leaders of the last 20 years? 
Wow, that is a uh, and fantastically difficult question that you've tasked me with, Clay, because I am invariably going to leave out so very many who have done such a fantastic job. I, I will say this. I, I think that you can have uh, organizations that have good leaders for a time, and then you see when that leader leaves, they end up not necessarily leaving the legacy of another leader who's able to come behind them. I think there are other organizations who have done a great job of building enough of a culture and promoting from within that their people understand what they want to maintain in terms of a focus upon those five things, the goals and relationships and expectations and accountability and things that have made them successful. One one that, uh, you know, again, from the realm of athletics here in the States, obviously, I think Nick Saban has done a fantastic job at Alabama when you think about American football at the collegiate level uh, of building a culture where he's brought in countless other assistant coaches and obviously every couple of years lose, loses players to the NFL, but continues to maintain a culture at the highest level. Mm. Uh, I think that you see that in uh, in leadership, even with Tim Cook at Apple. I think that uh, he is very definitely a different leader than Steve Jobs was. And it's obviously a behemoth of an organization, you know, larger than, than one I would normally work with. But uh, the idea of visible leaders who have done a fantastic job uh, in, in trying to maintain an organization's brand and to continue to stay consistent with the values they were built on that gave them success. And it's a difficult thing as organizations grow. The fact that you mentioned Tim was because I don't think probably, and I've never probably really given him probably the respect that he deserves, because a lot of people did expect him to fail when he took over. Mm -hmm. And he's been able to maintain, especially the sales aspect of Apple and to make it and make um, and maintain it as a trillion dollar company and i suppose really in real practical terms he's done what he set out to do and with a minimal amount of fuss so but he doesn't seem to get the respect that he deserves and he doesn't get lauded the way that say um steve jobs has done or or elon musk in 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 contemporary settings has done yeah and i think that what you point out is is what we discussed earlier clayton in that uh regardless of personality style uh, you can be very successful as a leader as long as you maintain uh, an emphasis and focus on what is the goal, what is it that we're here to accomplish, what are we going to maintain our focus on and not get distracted. I think that it's very easy, especially as people become more successful, to be distracted by things that end up sabotaging your continued success. And so to maintain that focus and to uh, continue with you know, providing that clarity and even when, you know, having those important conversations that aren't taking place in the spotlight, I think, are really the role of most leaders. It's, you know, what are you doing in the shadows with your people in terms of conversations and connections and relationships and clarity in order to give them a chance to succeed in the spotlight? And, uh, and for most of your listeners, they're not going to be leading an Apple or a Tesla, but for the group that they're leading, regardless of their personality type, they can be successful as a leader. As long as we're focusing upon those five elements of culture, they're going to give their people a chance to succeed in a healthy environment. That is very true. That is very true. And even though we we talk a lot about and we talk about personal styles and personality traits and so on and so forth, I want to use that as a, a springboard in order to talk to you about 
you as an individual or talk to our audience about you as an individual. And just to get a feel a bit more about what you are as a person, you know, you know, how does Sean Glaze look at life outside of leadership and entrepreneurism (laughs) and whatever. So I wanted to focus on our section and what are you like? Um, uh, So we discussed and you were sent a pro forma like everybody else does when they get invited onto the cash flow show. And you get a list of, of, of things to talk about or list of things that you might want to, to mention. But we, we stick to our core principles that we have here, favorite book, favorite business book, song and film. So let's start with your favorite book. Um, uh, do you remember what you put down? I, you know what, I am going to ask because I do believe that the paper that I printed off when I sent it to you was probably lost in the shuffle as of having everything of moved course, out of our home yes. and coming back. Well, so, so I'm going to ask you to share with me what were my responses and I'll tell you if I would update that at all. Oh, excellent. That's a good way of doing it. Well, you went for the classic How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Oh, well, look at me being... Uh, um, predictable. Uh, no, I, and I, obviously that is a classic and, and one that I, I actually, you'll laugh, Clayton, I paid each of our uh, three children to read when they were in middle school or, or my, our youngest when he was a freshman in high school, because I do believe that it is a really important work and so much important information for people to understand in terms of dealing with people, because regardless of what industry and career they go into, they will be more successful if they learn to deal successfully with people and to build connections that are going to be strong enough uh, to carry the weight of truth when they need to. And so, uh, yeah, I I would probably stick by that. Obviously, I have a a library of hundreds and hundreds of books and most of those business and leadership uh, in terms of the the focus. But uh, in terms of choosing one, uh, I think that's one that certainly is, is going to be foundational for any leader. Excellent. Now, your favorite business book was The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Yeah, my books have all been parables. And I know many of your listeners have probably read and are familiar with Patrick Mincioni and the, uh, the oh goodness, I've just drawn a complete blank. Uh, but his parables... Right. His parables are very, very similar to Bob Berg, and Bob Berg's Go-Giver is just a fantastic sales book uh, that is obviously a story that contains a lot of very powerful nuggets in terms of you know, you're you not there to sell, you're there basically to serve and to support and to assist uh, the people that are your clients and to build a larger network. And, and so using that, uh, that format of parable and using a story to carry the nuggets of content that are going to be valuable takeaways for the reader are basically the, uh, the template that I used when I went through rapid teamwork and the winning teammates and staying coachable. Excellent. I think the, you have to impart knowledge in a form that's digestible to people. And those parables and those nuggets of information do allow people to to absorb what you're saying much, much more readily, for want of a better expression. I think people make the mistake of overcomplicating things. And the the foundation of the book, if, if, if I've never read it, so obviously I'm relying on, on, on your good judgment. The fact is, is that ultimately this book is, is, is saying that, you know, if you are in the service industry and that's what you're there to do. And I get the impression that sometimes when I'm on LinkedIn, 
a lot of people are not in the service industry. They're in the demanding industry. And it's they don't know you and they just say, hi, you don't know me, but could I have A, B, C and D? And I'm thinking, you're right. I don't know you. Can we build a relationship here? <laughs> it seems to be. And, very- and that is such a huge part for entrepreneurs in any industry is, no, you're not in the spam business. You're in the service business. And how can you provide value and engage people? Uh, and if you can engage people and provide value and be a valuable resource to them, they're going to recall that and they're going to be far more happy to recommend you and to use you when that need arises. But they see you as somebody who is a resource instead of just a salesperson. Indeed. So your favorite song was Hotel California by the Eagles. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they they just played uh, just played here and uh, was not able to make the concert. But uh, my my wife and I, who went to college together, uh, it is uh, a whole lot of uh, Eagles and uh, some Billy Joel and and some uh, Elton John uh, that we've got all throughout our Spotify playlist. <laughs> Excellent. But Hotel California, amazing song, absolutely amazing, fantastic dueling guitar solos towards towards the end and. Um, <laughs> It's it it's a great record, and there's we 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 talk about classics, but the fact is, if you can hear a song again, again, and again, and that is the art of a lot of people don't seem to be able to do with songs. They seem to be much more disposable because they they don't stand up to repeated listening, and oh, a, a song like Hotel that is California. That's a great point. You know. It, it, that's 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 the reality of it. They, a lot of these songs don't stand up to repeated listening. You know, Elton John's. You know, you could go back to that stuff, and you can go back to it, and it still sounds great. I think we do the same thing as leaders, honestly, Clayton. I think sometimes we get caught up in that shiny new object, and ooh, I'm going to buy this tool, or ooh, I'm going to try this new program, or I'm going to end up paying for this, whatever that might be, uh, and and it looks great, and it's very very shiny and distracting sometimes from what classical culture and leadership is always going to depend on. And I think that, uh, that focusing upon those classics that you know are going to withstand the test of time and going to be successful regardless of circumstance and, uh, and the people are going to respond to, uh, that, that's, a, that's hopefully a, a useful analogy. Indeed, indeed. So your last um, selection is your film, which you've got down as The Godfather. Well, I love The Godfather. Uh, obviously, you know, just unbelievable film. But one of the things I just recently rewatched that I would share with your with your listeners, and if they're not familiar with John Wayne and old westerns, I'm obviously a western fan here in the states. Uh, and one of John Wayne's best movies, and I think underappreciated movies, is called The Cowboys. Now, in the movie The Cowboys, Clayton, now I know that everyone is familiar with The Godfather. But in the movie, The Cowboys, which they are probably less familiar with, you basically have uh, a rancher, and that is John Wayne's character, uh, who needs to move some cattle in order to get them sold, but everybody's off, and so he needs to actually recruit the use of young kids. And there's so much in that movie that I think is analogous to what a leader's job is. I think that as a parent and as a leader and as a coach, my job has always been to make myself unnecessary, that if I can build the people up around me enough, they will ultimately be able to take the reins of leadership themselves and to carry on that legacy of leadership and connection and culture 
when I'm gone to another organization or obviously years from now when, uh, when I'm not, you know, still uh, above ground. But that idea of being able to grow people and develop a team that can perform successfully when you're gone, I think is a hugely important uh, part of the movie. And it's a, it's a really entertaining uh, story that carries with it some, some meaningful messages for leaders. So I would, uh, I would include the Cowboys by John Wayne or with John Wayne in that, in that list of films. Excellent. Because when you did the Godfather initially, that comes up on so many entrepreneurs lists. It is, I, I am going to state quite clearly now, The Godfather is the film for entrepreneurs. And for some strange reason, every, <laughs> every other list, it's The Godfather. It comes up all the time. And it's, it, it's just quite interesting how, it, how that comes about. But The Cowboys, I actually know that film. I'm not really a great film buff, but I remember seeing that many years ago. It's not as heavy maybe as some of the John Wayne films that people might think. There's a certain element of comedy to it as well, as he tries to sort of whip these boys into shape, as it were. Um, so I, I think it's, it's actually a very good film, and I haven't seen it for many years. So that is um, a very, very interesting. But I can see why you would have chosen it, because he literally has to take these young boys in hand and give them some focus and direction. Right. And then to see, you know, at the end of the film without, you know, a spoiler alert, uh, by the end of the film to see them be able to, uh, to step up and become leaders themselves as, as a high functioning team, so to speak, is, uh, is something that I think is a rewarding part of that, of that story. Excellent. That, that was um, an amazing choice, set of choices there, an amazing set of choices. Um, so thank you for that. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time here because I know it's still very early for you in the States and it's getting into um, uh, midday for us here. But so what I wanted to find out is what are, oh, sorry, what are the people at Great Results Team Building going to be doing going forward? What what are your plans as a business? Well, it's, it's, Interesting that you ask, because as entrepreneurs will, uh, I have honestly begun to shift some of the focus of my business, Clayton. And where I began as, as someone with great results, team building kind of being the brand, I've actually begun to shift a little bit and still do uh, you know, events with, with corporate groups and obviously a good bit of, of speaking and writing. Uh, but the, the new brand, so to speak, as I begin to shift and transition uh, and probably add so that my businesses, rather than being all team building events and trainings, I've been doing a number of keynotes and then traveling around and not just sharing the keynote, but obviously the follow-up training to really implement a lot of the ideas into organizations and focusing upon some of the messages from my books. And so seanglaze.net is the, is the new website. And although I still have great results team building that is connected, uh, I think that uh, your, your entrepreneurs could probably uh, – identify with the fact that, uh, you know, once you start moving in one direction, you realize, well, hey, I maybe need to shift and, and choose uh, a different part of the road that I'm going to be a little bit more successful in where I feel like I can have a little bit more impact with a larger number of organizations. And so that's been uh, the major focus of the last six months for me and moving forward is going away from the great results team building into the seanglaze.net and uh, and doing a little bit more speaking to uh, to gain a little bit more access to organizations 
and to help their leaders to improve as well. Excellent. Now, you are based in the US, I'm in the UK. How can people access your services? Because you've got your books. I don't know whether you do webinars or online seminars that people can access from the UK. How would that work if somebody has listened to this and thought to themselves, this Sean Glaze guy, he's, he's all right, mate. He's all right, as, um, as they say over here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I have honestly been, you know, so much of my business has been early on me doing enough SEO to get found by Google and then far more recently getting a number of, you know, recommendations and referrals from previous clients. And so I've been very, very you know, grateful to have people share the good work that I've done with their organization to give me an open door into new organizations. And as you know, you know, Zoom and uh, the Internet and WebEx and a thousand other platforms have allowed us uh, to share virtually a lot of the trainings and the keynotes that otherwise would have been in person uh, years ago. And so to be able to come in person would be obviously an honor to be able to deliver a training or to share a message and some takeaway uh, nuggets of content that, that organizations and teams could apply immediately. Uh, is something that I would be thrilled to do. They can find me, obviously, online at Great Results Team Building or at Sean Glaze. Just Google either of those. I'm available at uh, LinkedIn, Sean Glaze, and I'm sure you'll probably share a lot of this on the show notes. I most definitely will. So that's really great. Sean, it has been absolutely wonderful. I was a bit concerned whether we would ever actually get the chance to connect. But I, <laughs> I, I, I did my, what what, the, what, the, what do you guys call it? Hail Mary pass. And I uh, thought I'd try and connect with you again. And I'm really pleased that we've been able to chat today. Thrilled to have had the conversation. Really glad we could connect and, and finally find the time that worked out for both of us, Clayton. And again, really enjoyed the chance to share with you and your audience and appreciate the opportunity to have uh, hopefully provided a little bit of information. And if I can be a resource for you or anyone in your audience moving forward, I really hope you'll reach out. We appreciate that very much. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Have a fantastic Monday. You too. Thanks so much, Clayton. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the world really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.